A Sunday school teacher had just related to his class, a class of boys, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And then he asked a very probing question. Now, what, which would you rather be, boys, the rich man or the beggar Lazarus? Well, there was silence for a while. And one boy replied, I'd want to be the rich man while I'm living and Lazarus when I'm dead. <laughs> You know, that's exactly how believers think. Uh, we don't quite catch the whole point. As we look at this matter of stewardship, abounding giving and abounding glory, we've got to understand that one of the foundational keys uh, to the proper view of our life so that God, that can be a reality is contentment that comes from confidence that God will meet our needs. Uh, that's so critical. Contentment that comes from confidence in the Lord. Contentment, one writer said, is realizing that God has already provided everything we need for our present happiness. Now, we know that theologically, but do we really believe it? An old Puritan preacher, Jeremiah Burroughs, said, What a foolish thing is this, that because I have not got what I want, I will not enjoy the comfort of what I have. There is a great deal of folly in a discontented heart. Could I add there's a great deal of unbelief in a discontented heart. Turn with me to our passage that we're going to be looking at now for these several weeks, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20 over uh, this period of time in particular, but especially the early verses. And today we're looking at the first section that provides this all-important foundation of abounding confidence in the Lord that will bring a contentment and a willingness to believe Him to allow him to do whatever he wants with our life and with our resources. If we don't have what we're going to be talking about today, we will fail when it comes to this matter of trusting him in these all-important areas. So if you look with me at Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, you were anxious, but ye lacked opportunity. You wanted to do something. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need." I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In that little paragraph, there are two beloved verses that most everyone here could quote. But it's packaged within a pretty powerful uh, perspective on the part of the Apostle Paul. And first of all here today, I want us to look at how he rejoiced in God's provision well, if you know the story, God had given the Macedonian call on the second missionary journey to the apostle. He obeyed, and instead of going northward, he went westward. Word, and we're all glad, uh, those of us uh, 
that have lived uh, in the Western world. And so he comes over into Macedonia, the northern part of the Grecian Peninsula, and he comes into Philippi. There were no Christians there. In fact, there were so few Jewish people there that there was no synagogue. So he met by the river, and that's where he met Lydia, who was uh, the seller of purple. And uh, they began a church in the home of Lydia. And through the sacrificial work of the Apostle Paul and uh, uh, Silas, who was with him, God developed there a tremendous group of believers that in many ways became a wonderful example of New Testament Bible Christianity. And these people never forgot the Apostle Paul. The work that God did through him during those uh, months that he was there was very precious to them. He had abruptly been run out of town. You remember he ended up in the jail, and then the jailer got saved after the earthquake, and a wonderful story, and then he had to leave, and he went on to Berea, and then to Thessalonica. And when he was in Thessalonica, they had messengers come, and they found out, as, well, as you see a little bit later in this passage here, um, in verse 16, he says, says, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. These people very much were burdened to see the ministry of the Apostle Paul go forward. And uh, then they, they lost track of the Apostle Paul. We do know from the uh, from 1 Corinthians that, or 2 Corinthians that they had again endeavored to minister to him. But then, of course, he had uh, the trip back to Jerusalem after the third journey, and he had the, uh, uh, the imprisonment in Caesarea, then on into Rome, and they hear that he is in Rome, and they hear also that he is really in a, a serious state of deprivation not complaining, not telling him about it, but they found out about it. And so they send Epaphroditus to him with a gift to meet his needs and probably a number of things that made it far better for him there in that jail. And let me just say that uh, the church at Philippi is to be commended. They were thinking ministry, weren't they? They were thinking of ministry beyond themselves around the world. That's really missions. And they were concerned about the servant of the Lord that was sacrificially getting the word of God out. So that's what you find there in uh, uh, verse 10, how he rejoiced greatly. And, I, and we're going to see he didn't rejoice in the provision as the main thing. He rejoiced that these folks were still on track like they had been right from the beginning. They were growing. They were maturing. They were burdened for the ministry. They had been praying for him. And this visit from Epaphroditus was a great balm to his soul to see the continuing work of Jesus Christ with the power of the Spirit of God in those dear Christians' lives. And to hear of all that was happening in the uh, realm of Macedonia. Macedonia has mentioned several different times as a place where God had mightily worked. We find that, of course, in Thessalonica. We find it in Berea. And so he was greatly encouraged and he rejoiced with that. And now uh, they had been anxious and now they were able to again uh, minister to him. And that met his spiritual need far more than it did the physical need. And he was very, very um, excited about that. 
And a couple of things I want us to see. He rejoiced in God's provision. He saw it as a divine initiation. Every aspect of God working in a local church and through a local church, through the matter of sacrificial giving, uh, it is God's initiation that primarily causes that to happen. Certainly there's giving for other motivations, but ongoing, sacrificial, very thoughtful and purposeful giving comes through the leadership of the Spirit of God, opening the Word of God, and causing people to do what they normally would not do humanly, but they do it because their hearts are in tune with the Savior. And so he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And it's very important for anyone who is out in the ministry, in evangelism or missions or whatever, and God provides the need, remember, that is God doing it. And look at how God has just in unusual ways uh, worked in our ministry here from the outside, things that we would have never dreamed to happen. That is the initiation of an almighty God who answers prayer and who will meet every need if we trust him. It's an amazing thing. And so he, uh, he really thanked the Lord. You go back to Romans 1, how he was thanking the Lord there in verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith have spoken of throughout the whole world. His great joy was that God was changing people's lives and bringing people who were formerly pagan, involved in all kinds of wickedness, now into a walk with God that was becoming a multiplying work uh, out from them, and he rejoiced greatly in that. And he understood, as 2 Corinthians uh, 9.15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And so, folks, we can trust God. He is an all-powerful uh, God who will meet our needs when we are obedient to him. I love the story uh, of uh, Captain Johnson who was serving as a chaplain uh, on an island in the South Pacific during World War II. He prepared to go on a bombing raid to enemy-controlled uh, uh, island several hundred miles away. The mission was a complete success, but on the homeward course, the plane began to lose altitude and the engines uh, faded out because they did not have enough fuel. Well, they made a safe landing on a strange island, and uh, the men that went out to check the island found out that um, one half mile in each direction, the enemy was there. And somehow their quiet landing had gone undetected. Well, a staff sergeant came to this believing godly chaplain and said, Chaplain, you've been telling us for months of the need of praying and believing that God answers prayer in the time of troubles, and then he does it right away. We're out of gas. <laughs> Our base is several hundred miles away, and we're surrounded by the enemy. Well, Johnson began to pray uh, for the sake of the faith and the lives and the eternity of these men that were with him. And he laid a hold of the promises of God and believed that God would, uh, would do a miracle. And God really met with him that night. Well, the night came, and the chaplain continued in his intense prayer. About 2 a.m., the sergeant just strangely awakened and felt compelled to walk down to the water's edge. He discovered a metal float there which had drifted up on the beach, and a tank of octane gas. In a few hours, the crew had reached their base. Well, an investigation 
revealed that the skipper of a U.S. tanker finding a ship in sub-infested waters had his gasoline cargo removed so as to minimize the danger in case of a torpedo hit. So barrels were placed on barges and put adrift 600 miles from where Johnson and his plane crew were forced down. God navigated one of these barges to the wind current and beached it 50 steps from the stranded men. God answers prayer. Well, we revel in those wonderful uh, matters of provision. But you know, God who created this enormous universe, is he not powerful enough to meet our needs? But what I want us to understand is he primarily, though, does it through his people because he wants to do a work through his people. And so the second aspect of this is not only is there divine initiation, but human instrumentality. (laughs) It's through God's people that he accomplishes his will. I wonder how many times he's had to go from plan A to plan B to plan C to plan D to finally get something done. And how many times have we not been obedient and therefore God has not been able to do what he wanted to do because we have not been the instrument that God wants us to be. God uses sacrificial, spirit-empowered people to meet the needs for the gospel to go forward. Speaking again of the Philippian church, we often in stewardship months go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and there we see the sacrificial giving heart of the churches of Macedonia, and that was Philippi primarily and Thessalonica. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, God's initiation, God's great gift of his power bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that would be Philippi, how that in a great trial of affliction, affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, their ability, they were willing of themselves." Uh, they were giving to the need for the ministry in Jerusalem and they were at the same time giving to the need of the Apostle Paul and they were going through an economic depression of major proportions and yet God worked. Just reading a couple days ago the story of A.W. Tozer and right during the depression those dear people on the south side of Chicago raised the money to build a church that God was able to use in a great way. Out of their poverty, God did a great work. It's an amazing thing when people yield to the Lord what God can do. And so God uses human instruments. He blesses those. He is able to to do things to continue to allow us to be the instrument that we ought to be if we really do trust him. A brief news item told about an express package that came from England to South Africa, to a town there. The man to whom the box was consigned refused to pay the delivery charges. And for about 14 years, the box was used as a footstool in the post office. The consignee died, and later the box was put up at auction with other unclaimed articles. Out of uh, curiosity, a man put a low bid in and got it. When he opened it up, he was shocked to see several thousand pounds of sterling in English banknotes. Because the, this man had refused to pay comparatively trifling delivery charges, he had missed a considerable fortune. 
And I can't think, I just, it, to me, I think it's so sad how many believers, because we're not willing to trust the Lord and do the simple things that he asks us to do in giving and meeting needs and being the instrument that God wants us to do, we miss the fortune of his blessings. We miss the, we miss the greater riches as the Lord Jesus talked about in that parable uh, with that steward and how uh, the greater riches come when we trust him. And so God wants us to be, to have the great privilege of through our lives and all that we do and in our giving to allow us to bring glory to him by taking what we do and then he empowers it and then the blessings that come. Listen, there's no one who's walking in the spirit who is sacrificial that's ever been sorry that they're sacrificial. It's uh, God, of course, meets needs, and that's a wonderful set of stories there. But more than that, the blessing of God is wonderful. And so the Apostle Paul knew that. In fact, that's the theme verse, verse 17, that we talked about is he was excited that because of these people in the midst of their poverty, being willing to give like they were, that they were going to have abounding glory in this life and in the life to come. And that was what he was excited about. And so we need to understand in our lives that uh, God will provide, but God provides through his own. So on both sides of the equation, we need to understand that. Secondly, the Apostle Paul shows us the, the importance of being content with God's providence. If you look with me back at our text, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be in hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Our, we'll never, folks, trust God and be willing to risk things if we do not learn how to be content when we don't have all the things that we want. If we don't have confidence that God will give us exactly what we need, we're not going to be the stewards that we ought to be. We just are not going to be. That's why we need to have supernatural, abounding confidence that God in his providence knows how to take care of us. Paul was genuinely happy with God's will for him. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, he writes under inspiration, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. How many American believers would be content with just enough food to eat and enough clothes to wear? Well, I don't think any of us would if we're really honest about it. But uh, we need to understand that the matter of contentment during times of deprivation and really having the joy of the Lord and knowing that God's going to work and knowing it's an opportunity for him to show himself powerful, if we can learn to have that and just have, have that freedom in our soul, uh, then whenever God calls upon us to do something that we might humanly think is a risk, that's okay because even if it turns out to be a time of deprivation for a while because we did it, it's going to be good. Because we're okay when we don't have what we want. Daniel Webster uh, wanted to give a person the impression that he remembered him, but he couldn't remember all the people that, that he had met before. So when he couldn't remember someone, he asked, well, how is that old complaint you've had? <laughs> 
And nine times out of ten, this worked. The person began to unfold some grievance that he had discussed with Mr. Webster on a former occasion, and therefore he could identify that person. <laughs> we are just people that are complainers. We have a big wanter. We have a bigger one than we know. It's hard for us to really be honest about it. I'm telling you, there is great peace in just being thankful for every situation that you face in life. It's one of the great secrets of the Christian life is to rest in the Lord. Uh, Paul gave his expectations to the Lord. A hundred years ago, uh, there was a survey. They even did them a hundred years ago. Uh, we've been cursed with surveys ever since. But anyway, uh, the average of American wants was about 70. And about 20 years ago, a similar survey was taken and it showed that uh, uh, the uh, grandchildren uh, generation of them wanted, had 500 things on their list. So our wanters have, have really increased. And that's why, honestly, we're afraid to give our life, our time, and what we have to the Lord when he calls upon us to do it. Because we honestly think the things that we think we need, we can't live without. And the way we want life to go is the only way it can go. And we don't realize that if we've got the Lord and we're in his will, that it's much richer, much better, and that God will take care of us. This right there is where the, the, the genuine matter of personal faith and walk with God, where the rubber meets the road. That's why stewardship is so important. If you can't trust him in this area, you can't trust him. You can talk about it. But it's not happening in the, in the life now, the other side of the equation is you, we need to be content during times of abundance. We need to be thankful and uh, rejoice and, uh, and know how to handle and realize that everything good comes from the Lord. Job 121, that famous response when he lost everything, he said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had had extreme wealth. Now he had extreme poverty as he was being tested by Satan. And God worked in a mighty way through his life. And he ended up with double everything when it was all over. But he learned to be content on both sides of the equation. That's what Paul is saying. I've learned to be content in whatsoever things, uh, in whatever state I am. Now, folks, that's why Thanksgiving as part of our hour with God is so crucial where we do not take the credit for anything that's in our lives, but we realize it's all from God's hand. And when he gives us those refreshing times of meeting needs, and maybe there's more abundance than normal, we need to rejoice in that. We need to ask God, how does he want us to use that? And we need to realize that that's from God's hand, just like sometimes the trials are from his hand. In fact, folks, when sometimes abundance comes, that can be your greater trial than deprivation, to be able to navigate through that properly. Uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving every year, and you have heard the proclamation from Governor Bradford of Massachusetts made on that first Thanksgiving. But if you know the whole story of the pilgrims, what they went through with her was horrendous. We can't even imagine their trials. But when some of the blessings came, this was the proclamation three years after they had settled there. 
Insomuch as the great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and insomuch as he, notice the emphasis on God, has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and your little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623 in the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to your pastor, that part's good, and render thanksgiving <laughs> uh, to ye almighty God for all his blessings. Did you see the divine perspective all the way for that? Here, wouldn't that be something if governors told us to, uh, to uh, thank God? But what, did, what was he trying to say? We're having momentary blessing. It's from God. We must thank him for it. How do you navigate the good times? Are you selfish? Do you hoard it? Do you take credit? Or do you, are you really just so very overwhelmed by the goodness of God? really tells us where we are. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This is really the key uh, to powerful, glorifying of uh, God giving. Number three, we need to be dependent upon God's power. I love this verse. We quote it so often. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And it's in the context here of the good and the bad, the hard and the easier. He's in prison right now when he's writing this, this epistle of joy and rejoicing and having the mind of Christ. And uh, he makes it very clear that this isn't because Paul was a very special person. This is because he knew Christ. Christ is all I need. I remember as a freshman in college, uh, I joined a society there in, in the Christian college. And um, the, uh, uh, the theme verse was, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And uh, from Philippians chapter 1. And I remember... Uh, singing that and beginning to have a yearning in my heart to know what does that mean for me to live as Christ, for me to live as Christ. Folks, that is the secret to living. You see, when we're truly allowing the Spirit of God to bring us into full fellowship with the Lord Jesus, and, and we realize that He's changing us and our lives can be uh, used powerfully by him and that we're continuing on his ministry, it changes everything. Life is not about the here and now, it's about him. And the deepest part of our spirit is refreshed and encouraged because we're, we're uh, having happen. Why? For the very purpose where we were created and for Christ to have come. He wants to have fellowship with us. And he wants us to continue on his mission. And I'm telling you, when you get that in your heart and mind, and that becomes a spiritual, powerful reality, and the things of this world begin to slip away, uh, then you can say, I'm content in whatever state. And when Christ says, I'd like you to do this, I'd like you to give that, I want you to take this next step forward, you have absolute confidence that he's all that you need. It will be fine. If it's of him, it's going to be good. And that's what life is about. 
Now, folks, this is the dynamic, really the heartbeat, the essence, the foundation of proper stewardship. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A small boy sat in a church with his mother and listened to a sermon entitled, What is a Christian? Every time the pastor asked the question, he banged his fist on the pulpit for emphasis. The tension was produced as he did this over and over, and it built up, and finally the little boy whispered to his mother, Mama, do you know? Do you know what a Christian is? Yes, dear, she replied. Now sit still and be quiet. Well, finally, as the pastor was winding up the sermon, he again thundered, What is a Christian? And, this was, and he banged really hard on the pulpit. This was too much for the little fellow. So he jumped up and cried out, Tell him, Mama, tell him, Mama. Tell him what a Christian is. I think the Lord feels that way about us. We've heard it, but what is? What is the Christian life? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be content? What is life about? You know, how many times do we hear it, but we don't get it? I've had that happen to me. Spiritual truth I've heard a hundred times and all of a sudden the veil goes off and all of a sudden that truth, oh, where was I? You know, and, but you know one of the reasons for that, folks, is that we're not where we ought to be in our hearts. We're thinking about other things. We are distracted by other things in our life. We, we, there are certain things we're not willing to give up. There are things that we're depending upon. And so precious truth will come on and, what is this? I mean, do you understand it? And it just, we're paralyzed and we don't get it. But God wants us to get a hold of the fact that for me to live is Christ. We're saved by him, but we live by him. That's what life is and uh, how we need to wake up. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. His relationship with Christ was all he needed. And he went through some very difficult times. And it's so wonderful, Christ which strengtheneth me. God's power through Christ is the means. Folks, we can be confident that God will take care of us when we give and when we sacrifice our life. A little girl was given $2 by her mother. One was to get to go to a candy store, one dollar bill was, and the other was to put in the offering. And so she, as she was on her way to the candy store, she slipped and fell. It was windy, and she was able to hold on to one dollar bill, but the other one went down in the grate into the storm sewer. Well, she got up, dusted herself off, and um, uh, she looked at the dollar she had in her hand, and then at the storm drain, he says, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. <laughs> We've heard that little story, but isn't that how we respond? Uh, we have the same attitude. If something goes wrong, well, Lord, sorry, you lost what I was going to give. I'm telling you, when you go through trials, you know, the chastening of the Lord is good. When we haven't been really trusting him. Now, God doesn't judge us if we're a Christian, but he certainly knows how to get our attention because he loves us. And folks, uh, you gain nothing by disobeying the Lord. You gain nothing. It's all his anyway. It's just a privilege to be able to manage it for him. And so we need to be confident that when we do what God wants us to do, he'll always take care of us. We do not have to fear. He will meet the need. He has the power. 
God's power is absolutely limitless. Oh, I, I am overwhelmed every time I get to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where four words for power are used in that passage. And, he, and Paul was praying, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope, the confidence of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. The four major words used for power are used in that. And the great prayer of the Holy Spirit for us is that we would understand that we have all that we need in Christ. Folks, we don't even begin to understand what God would do through us if we would trust him. And that's why stewardship is so important because it's really a foundation of trusting God so that he can accomplish great and mighty things. Our God is still a God of miracles. Our God is a God that will meet needs, God, a God that will work beyond what we can uh, ask or think. He doesn't just barely do enough. He, he is ready to do greater works in our lives if we'll trust him. We're like that uh, pastor that talked about in 1910. He tried to cross the Rockies in a 19, or 1916 Model T. <laughs> well, the radiator boiled over anyway. It took him hours and hours and hours. He finally made it, had to push it over and everything. But uh, they didn't enjoy a bit of the scenery. It was a mess. Well, then they had a 1922 car, and it made it without too many crises, but they were so worried about it all the way along, they still didn't enjoy the scenery. But a number of years later, they had a modern car. And, man, that thing just roared up the mountain. And they would stop and have a picnic, and they took, you know, it was great. They enjoyed the whole thing. And I thought about this. Of course, in ourselves, we have no power. That's the breakdown of this illustration. But, folks, we're, when we try to do life ourselves, you know, the Christian life is a beautiful thing. The scenery's great. The fellowship's wonderful. The opportunities are marvelous. Even the deepest valleys are just glorious opportunities for us to know God. But we're chugging along trying to do it. And, our, you know, and I'm telling you, we boil over, don't we? Our radiator gets really hot at times. And we get all frustrated. And we get to push in our life. Man, we think we're, we're doing it. And it's, it's not fun at all. The Christian life seems so tough. And we might get more resolution, might have a little better model, but it's still the same old thing. But when the Holy Spirit takes over and Christ is center of our life, all of a sudden we awaken. Oh, this is what life is about. This is why I'm alive. This is what I'm here to do. I'm to accomplish God's will. So, folks, God wants us to have abounding confidence we're not going to give like we should. We're not going to sacrifice our lives and our time. We're not going to do what God wants if we don't believe he can take care of us. We have got to get down to the essence of that faith that my God is big enough to meet every need. And I can be content in whatsoever state I am. Let's bow for prayer.